Hello and welcome to Food Neighbourhoods on Monocle Radio. My name is Monica Lillis and once again we visit places locals love for their food and drink. This week we will be sampling the strange and surprising culinary delights that Venice has to offer. Sarah Grice will be navigating us through the winding streets and canals of the floating city in search of its hidden treasures and plenty of spritz. Venice goes by many names and wears many guises. The Queen of the Adriatic, the Floating City, the City of Sighs, of Masks, of Bridges. In the Veneto region of northern Italy, cradled by the Adriatic Sea, the Venetian lagoon forms the largest wetland in the Mediterranean. It's a sprawling nexus of shallow waterways, salt marshes, mudflats and 117 islands, of which Venice is the largest. Geographically, it's closer to Trieste and Croatia than to Rome or Florence, so the food here is quite different to what you might expect from Italy. Wood-burning ovens are banned for fire safety reasons, so it's not the place to order pizza. This is because the city is held afloat on wooden stilts, planted into the marshlands by the first settlers, who found refuge in the quiet lagoon, fleeing the armies of Attila the Hun around 420 AD. These days they are mostly invisible to the naked eye, since with the passing of time, the wooden foundations have been overlaid with stronger, harder materials, like brick, marble, and Istrian stone. Venice is excessively beautiful. It's a cliché to say this, of course, but it's true. Like with any place, the best way to become acquainted with Venice is through its food and drink. With its bitter weeds and salty water, the lagoon lies at the heart of the city's cuisine. You can taste the sharp flavours of the Adriatic in all its dishes, at once bitter, sweet and salty. I'm going to take you on a sensory tour of Venice to sample its surprising culinary magic. The morning coffee isn't just a pick-me-up in Italy. It's a ritual, and like any ritual, there are rules to be followed. Milk is fine in the morning, but frowned upon after midday. After that, to keep it simple, I just ask for an espresso or plain coffee, caffè liscio. For my first coffee of the day, I'm heading to Torrefazione, an artisanal coffee house and local favourite. It's been here since 1930, on the vibrant Fondamenta dei Ormesini in the northern sestiere of Canareggio. Unlike other Italian cities, divided into quartiere, or quarters, Venice is comprised of six districts, sestiere, separated by the famous Grand Canal. To get to the cafe, I'll need to cross three bridges, as the entire city is a series of tiny islands, connected by 438 bridges, so I've already earned my breakfast. Having said that, Italians aren't huge on breakfast, and Venice is no exception. A cappuccino and a sweet pastry like a croissant, called a cornetto, either plain or filled with jam, chocolate or pistacchio cream, while standing at the bar, al banco. If you want to sit down and save your coffee at the table, al tavolo, you can, but the price will be double. After coffee, I'm going to make my way to the Rialto Fish Market, an unmissable and iconic part of the Venetian food scene, steeped in its maritime mercantile history. To get there from Canareggio, I have to go via Strada Nova, New Street, a wide, sweaty tourist thoroughfare, but with a few hidden gems if you know where to look. One of these is Alla Vedova. The name means the widow's place, and it's one of the oldest ostiere in the city, particularly famous for their house rendition of the classic Venetian dish, bigoli and salsa, 
spaghetti served with a sauce of beautifully melted onions and anchovies. I'm here for one of their legendary polpetta, meatballs made from ground veal, coated in fried breadcrumbs, and an ombra of vino bianco della casa, poured from a terracotta jug. It's never too early to drink in Venice, and an ombra, or shadow, is a tiny glass of wine to have with your bar snacks, held in a napkin standing at the bar or leaning at the window ledge in the narrow alleyway outside. If you look at a map, you'll see that Venice is shaped like a fish, with its main waterway, the Grand Canal, winding its way down the center. To save time and avoid the crowds, I'm going to bypass the iconic Rialto Bridge, one of the four great bridges that span the Grand Canal, and take a ferry gondola, a traghetto. With a cheery wave and a song if you're lucky, a gondolier in the white and navy striped uniform of the Venetian gondolieri will take you from one bank to the other in a matter of minutes. Getting off at the Rialto market, I'm hit by a wave of noise, bustling crowds and some seriously fishy smells. It's still a functioning fish market, open every day from 6am to midday, and here you'll find tourists browsing and locals doing their daily shopping. I love to come here and look at the array of glistening fish in their icy beds. Spider crab, calamari, sea bream, octopus and of course cuttlefish, with their inky sacs that squirt out the thick black liquid that's used to make sepia in nera, cuttlefish in black ink, another classic Venetian dish served with spaghetti, polenta or risotto that turns your teeth black and is rich, dark and delicious. My next stop for a light lunch is at a bar called Alarco, hidden in the back streets of the hectic Rialto. Known as Bacardi, these traditional Venetian bars are usually standing room only. You have to jostle for attention, point directly at what you want and eat shoulder to shoulder with your neighbors. They serve wine and chiquetti, a kind of Venetian tapas, little crostini packed with flavors of all kinds. The classics are bacala manticato, creamed salted cod, and sardin in saur, sardines with vinegary onions and sweet raisins. You can sample gorgonzola, big juicy white anchovies, tiny crustaceans, and mini octopuses, along with melt-in-your-mouth meaty versions with pancetta and mortadella. I point at several and wash them down with another ombra. Again, it's never too early for a drink in Venice, and Venetians take drinking very seriously. Because it's about 33 degrees and I'm melting, I'm making my way through the labyrinthine streets of the San Paolo Sestiere to Il Doge, a gelateria named after the traditional democratically elected rulers of the Venetian Republic. They do a really light flavor here that's perfect for this weather, ricotta with honey and toasted sesame. When I'm in this neighborhood, I love to visit the Basilica dei Frari, home to one of the greatest Renaissance masterpieces, The Assumption of the Virgin by Titian. It's a towering altarpiece, more than 20 feet tall, that scandalized contemporary Venetians when it was revealed with its bright colors and bold forms. If Florence was the renaissance of line and form, Venice was the renaissance of light and color, two aspects which truly characterize this city, down to the sparkling colorful drinks that are customarily had in the early evening before dinner, as aperitivo, a word which means to open the stomach or to whet the appetite. Aperitivo hour is sacred in Venice. Today, I'm going to have mine in Dorsodoro, the southernmost sestiere. The name comes from the Italian Osodoro, meaning hard spine or hard bone, so-called because it's the highest, rockiest, and most stable part of the city. And from above, it really looks like a backbone. 
I'm going to Skiavi, a bar that used to be my local when I first lived here. It's a lovely spot, packed with locals, students and tourists, elbow to elbow, either inside at the bar or outside on the canal. Spritz was invented here in Veneto in the 1800s by Austrian soldiers who diluted their wine with a splash of water. The word Spritz means splash in German. The drink has evolved to include Prosecco and various coloured liqueurs. You can choose between the sweet orange Aperol, the red bitter Campari, or nutty brown Chinar, made from artichokes from the nearby island of San Erasmo. I like to order a Spritz Campari Chinar, half and half. I love the combination of the bitter Campari and the rich nutty flavour of the Chinar. Afterwards, I walk along the Zatere, the waterfront on this side of the island, which offers the most beautiful views of the lagoon. At this hour, it's full of life as the locals come out to enjoy a spritz, walk their dogs and gossip about the day, while the sun illuminates the water with its pink and violet rays. For dinner, I'm going to a restaurant called Alvecchio Marangon, tucked away in a back street with a little garden. It's small but with a great ambiance and always packed. Their house lasagna is incredible, but tonight I'm ordering the black cuttlefish with polenta and a glass of suave, a dry Veneto white wine. I don't have a particularly sweet tooth, but I do love tiramisu, so I'm going to have that for pudding with an espresso for the full experience. Tiramisu originates here in Venice, and the literal translation is pick-me-up. After dinner, I wander slowly home across the Academia Bridge through the winding back streets of Rialto and along the now-deserted Strada Nova, taking my time to appreciate the strange beauty of this watery city. The lagoon is tidal, and going with its ebbs and flows is the only way to exist here. Here I'm always wandering, but rarely lost. It's possible to get by using your senses as a map. The Russian poet Joseph Brodsky, who was buried just north of the city on the cemetery island of San Michele, describes his first impression of Venice on a cold winter night. He writes... I was smitten by a feeling of utter happiness. My nostrils were hit by what to me has always been its synonym, the smell of freezing seaweed. To me, this sentiment captures something at the heart of Venice and its cuisine, the alchemy of its unique smells, sounds, and tastes. Thanks, Sarah. For more food and drink stories, tune into The Menu every Friday at 20.00 London time. My name is Monica Lillis. Thank you for listening. <laughs>